Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man! Just like that, the Watching Comics Podcast is back, where we bring you the most trusted takes and opinions on the intersection of comic book entertainment hitting your screens, both big and small. Because, well, it's the 21st century and watching comic books is literally a thing. It's an exciting time to be alive. My name is Mitch, my co-host is Jake, and we're just a couple of Midwestern geek dads bringing you the conversations we would be having anyway, but we plugged in some microphones too. So... God bless the internet. This is the Watching Comics Podcast. We are so happy to have you. If this is your first episode, you are in for a treat. We're glad you're here. If this is not your first episode joining us, I suppose you're in for a treat and we're glad you're here too. So there's that. As always, hit us up on Twitter at Watch Comics Pod. That's comics with an X at Watch Comics Pod so you can be a part of the conversation. We are going throwback today in the best way possible. I'm super excited. But before we do anything else. Jake, Mitch. buddy, how, how you doing? I'm doing well. Um, good. You know, Dude, you know what? Good for you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, gosh, I never know how much to like overlap real <laughs> life with podcast life. Right. Like, but um, for new listeners, let's clarify. Jake and I have been friends for like 15 years. And um, we're geeks, but we also have lives and wives and kids and houses and jobs. We're not living in our parents' basement. Continue. Okay. So you actually just kind of nailed it. Like all of the, so we also, we live in a small Midwestern town um, and Mitch has lived here longer than me and I caught up. Um, And Or you got, or you got stupid and I've just been dumb for a long time. Hey, pick your poison, man. Um, (laughs) So like the thing is anyone else who lives in a small town will know that like, it's if you want to be a part of things it's one of the coolest things about small town life if you want to be a part of things all you have to do is raise your hand and people will start like hey i got this committee well could you be here on tuesdays can you do um, i have a pulse yes like me (laughs) and so like um a lot of those things overlap with my day job where it's beneficial both to me personally and professionally do all these things right so all that to say like i think i'm starting to reach that point where I'm having to start pumping the brakes when I'm invited to do stuff and say, whoa, hold up. Um, you've, you've been around long enough that you don't yeah. feel like you have to say yes to everything now and you can actually like instill boundaries. Well, it's not just that. It's, I'm not sure I could say yes at this point to some other things. And, Fair. you know, that's not to say like I'm as busy as you um, because you are like <laughs> the busiest guy I know. Uh, Mitch grinds constantly, people. Um, but- I just get bored easily. Hey, you know what? It's the best solution possible is stay busy. Um, <laughs> and just have kids and get a side hustle. There you go. Or three in your case. Yeah. So I'm all that to say, I'm in that good headspace where I'm I'm having a lot of fun. I'm doing a lot of cool stuff. I'm busy, but that's me. And I came Sweet. with a real answer this week. You should you know what you were prepared almost. It was like three and a half years deep into this podcast, and you were ready for the question that I've been asking at the beginning of every, every week. episode. Yes, nicely I'm starting done. to get there. Jake, yeah. I haven't said this in a while, but I mean it. You're no slouch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Shout out to anyone listening that was with us like on the first year of our podcast. You'll get that joke. <laughs> when okay. that was the best compliment we got. It was. There was. Well, I got. We were, we were so young and carefree. We then. were. Boy, life was. It was a different world. 
It sure was. Man, pre-COVID <laughs> even. Jeez, yeah. what was that? Oh, goodness gracious. I'm super, super excited for this hmm. episode for a couple of reasons. One is um, if anybody's followed me online for any specific period or like any period of time, they'll know that 90s movies are my thing. And I think I can definitively say 1999 is my favorite movie year of all time. So like this, this fits in my Venn diagram so nicely in the middle, even though it's not necessarily an IP driven piece, but it doesn't matter. We put a Twitter poll up a couple months ago and you listeners said that it was okay for us to do this. So we're running with it, but um, we're going to be dishing on one of the cultists of all the classics of all time. And it's going to be a great conversation. But before we do that, Jake, we have got to roll out the red carpet this has been a long time coming i'm stoked jake are you stoked i'm tonight's gonna suck so much less than usual i know that's why i'm so (laughs) excited whenever we have cool guests on i'm like oh guys we have credibility this is is can i can i pause for one second our interns our interns in the corner celebrating right now because their hard work paid off (laughs) the production team this Mm -hmm. is why people leave compliments like you're no slouch is because i'm completely self-deprecating with everything we do um, and the yeah. thing is, is, but the thing is, you're earnest. <laughs> here's, well, here's what I think people who know me in real life. Let me let you behind the curtain one last time before we introduce our awesome guest. I oscillate wildly between massive ego and horrible self-deprecation. And mm-hmm. I just sort of try to land somewhere in the Like, I try to hope they average each other out. It's probably yeah. why you're good in the nonprofit sector, right? Yeah. You know, I'm both uh, really, <laughs> yeah, a lot of self-loathing. And uh, a complete and total lack of regard for the fact that I could fail. That's how I do things. Mm, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why we're friends. I digress. <laughs> I digress. We have more important people than me here tonight. We do. So we are going to be talking about The Matrix, the first Matrix movie from 1999. And here yes. to dish on it with us, we have Twitter uh, Twitter personality extraordinaire. We have Thomas from the Movies After Work podcast you can find them on twitter at movies work they've got a load of followers and a lot of good commentary going on there i particularly dig them and movies after work podcast you can follow them and check them out at wherever you get your favorite pods the movies after work podcast is hosted by alex and thomas where they push past exhaustion from work and parenting to talk about the world of movies and to be completely honest i don't know if there's anything more important nor more relatable than that thomas welcome to the watching comics podcast i'm gonna go ahead and sign out right now because there's no way i'm matching the belt you guys gave me <laughs> oh good you he's guys... self-deprecating too yes! you guys want to talk about self-deprecating my general opinion is i failed but i'm not worth paying attention to so no one will notice <laughs> yeah, so we're all card carrying members of that club i'm super excited our next chapter meeting will be tomorrow night excellent excellent i have nothing going on <laughs> fantastic thomas thank you so much for joining us um you and i had been dming on twitter for a while trying to figure out what in the world we wanted to collaborate on we knew that our energies would click we just didn't know what finally we decided it's time the matrix the world needs to know our definitive thoughts and if they don't we're going to give it to them anyway because this is yep. a podcast so um so 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 good to have you here man how you doing it's fantastic to be here guys i'm doing good i've got a Seem to still have a roof over my head, so I'll take Sweet. it. Sweet. Um, yeah. Kid fell asleep, so that's a win. <laughs> Kids are in we, bed. We, we chatted, Thomas and I, for like 10 minutes before you got here about like the, the horrific nightmare that is trying to put children to sleep. 
and like we shared some techniques and it's both the most adorable and frustrating thing in the whole wide world it's adorable when it's done in the moment (laughs) it's definitely like oh man i'm well it's my favorite my favorite and by favorite i mean not at all is when what happens when we hit that level of just like extreme exhaustion and this happens to jake and sometimes it happens to me i'm sure it happens to you thomas but the latest it happened to me, I think three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, and Jake and I had made an appointment to record one particular night and we were all slotted and ready to go. And I went to put one of my kids to bed and I fell asleep on the floor in her room and I had no concept of time. And I woke up like 40 minutes after we were supposed to start recording. And I had a text waiting for me from Jake that said, I bet you fell asleep in your kid's room, didn't you? So what I did is I left the laptop open next to me while I played a video game and I did not worry about it. So don't <laughs> even worry, man. Let's, yep. I mean, that's yeah. At a certain point, that's what you do. And yeah, I think Jim Gaffigan definitely put it best putting, putting toddlers, especially to bed is j- it's a hostage negotiation situation <laughs> where it's just, you're, you're either offering them the world or threatening to take it away. It's, it's one, or, one or the other is happening. That's by a thousand cuts. I feel like I'm constantly giving a small portion of myself away every night with that. And I just don't know how much more I have left, but we'll see. <laughs> I remember um, when we were going to talk about the matrix, but I think I'd like to pivot to just having a group therapy session on uh, <laughs> raising small children totally. at bedtime. So if you are a listener <laughs> to this podcast and you don't yet have small children, um, I take notes. There's <laughs> some yes. things you need but, to know. Be, be aware. <laughs> it's the most rewarding thing you will do with your life. You will earn it so many times mm. over. It's like the end of saving private Ryan. Tell me I did. Okay. <laughs> Just tell me I'm all right. For the love of God, I tried so hard. When you when you see a parent out with their children, watch the eyes. Because as soon as the kids look away, that look of love will go away. And just the empty exhaustion will fill <laughs> their eyes. If just for a moment, so that it's way the they Tom can refuel. Cruise thing, right? <laughs> you're either completely dialed in or you're dead inside. There's no in between. Yeah. <laughs> I see. I always go with the it's the Ryan Gosling acting style of I'm just going to be <laughs> blank, expressionless, hollow, and let everyone else same time. everyone else can fill in the blanks for me about what emotion I'm admitting. <laughs> That's so amazing. Real. Oh my goodness. Okay, so Thomas, it's clear you belong here. You're a, you are among <laughs> friends. You are you are welcome. You're from this day henceforth known as a friend of the Watching Comics podcast. So I don't know if that gives you any sort of street cred, but we like to think it's cool. Um, so the Matrix, 1999. Man, what a time to be alive. Jake, take me to your first exposure of this movie. Give me 30 seconds on how Jake encountered the Matrix for the first time. I was in eighth grade gym class and a kid who was way more athletic than me ran and jumped towards the wall, kicked off of it and screamed matrix bitches. And I said, what's matrix bitches straight from the streets of Kansas city is what that is. That's how I found out about the matrix. True story. Well, that we can, I, we're not going to top that. I guess we'll sign off now. Thanks for listening. <laughs> What I'm curious about is like, okay, well, uh, we're all, uh, Thomas, I'm making some assumptions here, but I believe we're all about the same general age here. Um, I was not legally old enough to see The Matrix when it first came out in theaters. I'm curious who snuck that kid in. 
because I knew so many people that claimed to have seen it in the theater. Oh, that kid had an older brother, you know. He sure. Did. I just I, and I guess I never really had the guts to sneak into an R-rated movie as a kid. Now I understand it's pretty easy. Like the trick in hindsight, is, I'm like, sure, okay. You gotta do what I did. I got a job at the movie theater at 14. So I was seeing go. I was seeing R-rated movies for free for any time. Oh, yeah. it's, it's I remember at 16, my lunch break was go get some Burger King and then catch about 20 minutes of The Departed. Mm. We call that living. your <laughs> That's living your best life. Is what that that's is. awesome. <laughs> that's that was. Yeah, that was 16 for me. Um, Thomas, you're a God among men. I mean, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, eat this Whopper and but, hear as many F words as I can. Yeah. Well, I I still remember. um because I, I like you guys i grew up in a small town like maybe five thousand population uh in the gigantic area in the middle of nowhere um yeah we know that place <laughs> yeah <laughs> i called i call that home <laughs> but we i still remember when red dragon came out in theaters oh yeah our theater you know was run by a bunch of teenagers and it was you know it's small town nobody cares nobody knows anything uh people you know i got i had an argument in high school about why reading books was important because everyone disagreed with me oh well i mean we're still having that fight today so yeah but you know, I, Red Dragon, though, easily the best movie ever made to feature Rafe Fiennes ripping out Philip Seymour Hoffman's tongue with his teeth. Straight yes. up. I, mean, oh, I, yeah. feel, I don't really feel like Easy. that's up for debate. That's a pretty deep list on IMDb, but. <laughs> well, Every, I mean, we everyone has that here. list on Letterboxd. It's kind of it's kind of a lazy one to go with, but you have to have it. It's like the list of bad things happened to Alex Wolf's family and you rank the two movies, Hereditary and, and Old. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. So. Thomas the Matrix. Are, I'm assuming you're a fan. You said you wanted to talk about this, or did you just want to come on here and, ri- and rag on it? I'm really, I'm really interested to see where you land on this. Do you dig the Matrix? So here's here's what I discovered when I did my my rewatch is that I like this movie in spite of its stylization, not mm. because of it. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I think you and Jake are going to have a nice fun throwdown here. This is going to be good. Jake is all about the kung fu lifestyle. I, I, I am, but I actually, to an extent, I agree with that because this is the movie that launched a million idiots, right? Like <laughs> five million idiot movies came out where they're like, I don't know, slap everybody in some black leather and make them punch stuff that worked for the matrix. Um, Can I ask one question though? That's going to yeah. be very insensitive and off topic. Yeah, always. That was the other name for this podcast. We insensitive yeah. and off topic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were workshopping that and it didn't quite hit. Um, our interns were like, no. Well, the one I always think of is underworld. Right. And those, Oh, the, the lichens. Yeah. And there's, there's peaks and valleys in the underworld series. I'll, I'll admit to enjoying the first one when hey, I was, I've younger. got, I've got the first three. I dig yeah. those movies. Um, and so like, I'm, I'm not trying to necessarily trash the underworld films, but I also do look at them as the ultimate, like, Somebody saw the matrix and said, how much of this can we lift without anybody trying to sue us? Mm -hmm. And then when they hit that line, they said, okay, fill the rest in with werewolves. Yeah. The the log line was what if matrix, but vampires. Yeah. And, and I just feel like, you know, there's so many things around that time where it was like, if you want to make an action movie, everybody's got to have sunglasses on, whether they're necessary or not. They all need to be wearing some black leather. 
And, and I feel like all of those imitators diluted the style of the matrix to where we now, I, at least me, I, I kind of scoff at it and I laugh at it. Um, and I would say to agree with what, you know, with what you're saying, Thomas, that I like it in spite of those kind of things, you know, that I don't mm-hmm. know that that aspect of the film has aged great. And it, it sucks because like the, the aging, por- the aging portion of it isn't its fault. Right. right like right. it's the, the, the matrix did the thing really well and set the trend. And then it didn't age well because there was a whole bunch of copycats after the fact that made it diluted as you said, as you yeah. mentioned. Right. Yeah. But all that to say, Holy crap. Do I still love this movie? <gasps> like, right? Oh man. In the rewatch. And my, and my wife is like, yeah, I remember this being cool. I'm like, no, this was my first grown up movie. I had the VHS in my bedroom, like a big boy. And I, yeah, this, um, man, I love this movie still. Absolutely love it still. Well, I, I would say it's not even just about a bunch of other action and sci-fi movies trying to replicate it. We had about five years where every single comedy had to have a parody moment of the bullet oh, time. Yeah. You mm-hmm. couldn't be a comedy without having that moment. Was it the, the first scary movie or scary movie two? I remember first it one. had, yeah, the first, first one had that call out in yeah. there. Because the scene starts great with the whole, I can see you, you're behind the couch. What? Ah, it starts out with that and it's a great scene and then it just devolves into Matrix parody. Even totally. even the first Shrek, which is generally a pretty timeless movie, doesn't have a lot of specific references, whereas all the sequels are very dated. I even ride for Shrek, as... even, even with Fiona's floating kung fu. <laughs> yeah it's the funny thing for me is like in terms of how people would look it's very much um sort of made that popular i don't want to necessarily say it created it because i know there's an entire world of dark city fans that have their shotguns pre ready <laughs> to fire if anyone gives the matrix too much credit um, but there is again that's at movies work um, <laughs> at, at the at them and let them know your thoughts both of you go yeah. get him <laughs> but they, you but keeper I mean, stands <laughs> but there's even Hashtag um, keeper stand Can't and that w- that one guy who's still waiting for rufus sewell to become the next big thing in hollywood <laughs> rufus sewell and steven dorf they're holding those tickets man they're doing it. Um, <laughs> hey, if you haven't seen Dark City, it's pretty good, guys. Go check it out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what we're it's, talking about. Do a Google. It's, it's definitely it's in the movie. same. It's in the same corner as the Matrix of cult classic, right? Everyone's yeah. got their corner. It's in the same corner. Here's the yeah. thing. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the legacy of the Matrix. And then I want to yeah. talk about what works and maybe what doesn't. Because the thing that I kept thinking about with this particular movie is... One, like, God, I just, I love the Wachowski sisters. And I just, I, I feel like I am not only in good hands, I feel like I am in uniquely self-aware hands. And every single time I, I venture into one of their movies. But the, the thing about this is, is like, I, I honestly, I had seen this movie, I think two, maybe three times prior before the rewatch for this podcast. But the last time I watched it was like my junior year in high school. 
So I watched it a couple of times, like in a small window and then just kind of lived with that lasting impression and didn't have a recent experience with it. And so diving back into it, I just kept marveling at the fact, both the good and the bad. I marveled at the fact of like, in so many different ways, this was the first one. Like, I feel like this is a movie where you look at it, you look at the time it was released, you look at the original storytelling, the directing choices the Wachowskis made, and then you look at the trends that it set in the industry, both good and bad, and, and, and everything that came after it. And you just, I just can't. And, and then even what happened with some people's careers, like with what we got with Hugo Weaving and, and Keanu's John Wick yeah. stuff and everything. And I'm just like, this movie is such a tipping point, both in like a commentary and social impact standpoint, as well as just a career and movie making standpoint as well, too. And I don't know, maybe I was just too young when this came out. I don't know if we really were like recognizing that in the moment, but here we are. And, and the matrix is just an absolute fixture in the pop culture zeitgeist. And it's hard to imagine the last 21 years without its lasting influence. I know I'm starting to get hyperbolic Thomas. Does that make any sense at all? Oh, I I think it makes complete sense. And I think it's even, I think it's, I would argue it's even a bigger impact than you're probably thinking. Cause I think there's a lot like, um, I think as weird as this is going to sound, I don't think there's a a career for Chris Nolan without this movie. Oh my gosh. I love that take. Yes. Because take, me to, take me to church, Thomas. Mind Do blown. It. Go. Do it. I like, and I mean, people can, can disagree with me, but was anybody going to see Memento in theaters outside of the reason to see Trinity in a different movie? No. Like, that's why people initially went to go see that movie was because it had Carrie Ann Moss. It had Trinity in it. So that's why you go see, it's kind of like um, the fact that, you know, the, the biggest spoilers for people who for some reason haven't seen this yet, the biggest death still to this day on lost is Dominic Monaghan's because he was the actor you turned on that show's pilot to see because you had just watched him in Lord of the Rings. Everyone else was, you didn't know. And so I think, again, I think the Matrix success made people go watch Memento, gave Chris Nolan his career. And, it, you know, it's Spider, regardless of how people Same feel energy. about Chris Nolan. A lot, a lot of similar um, energy overlap there in, in, in oh, most yeah. of Nolan's biggest blockbusters and what we've got in the Matrix here. I think, dude, it was worth bringing you onto the podcast just for that sound bite. There it is. <laughs> I, that's that's what I do. I do I do like the random out of nowhere, just <laughs> the epiphany moment. moment. Yeah. Well, I've I've said on this podcast before, much to the detriment of my ats, that I think Christopher Nolan is a gifted director, but an overrated director. So I'm all for anything that kind of you know humbles him a little bit. See, <laughs> I I I always say that he is a he is a highly talented cinematographer. Totally. And that's totally. his glass ceiling. So I'm going to go ahead and be the sheep here and say that I really like his movies. I know you said this before, Jake, and we love you anyway. But I, I also think, though, that, you know, he's it's a volume thing now where he's done enough of them that I'm starting to see. OK, so he's not I wouldn't say he's a one trick pony. I am realizing that the pony may have fewer than 10 tricks. Yes. And I think the biggest thing all. with Chris, I think the biggest thing with Christopher Nolan is he's 
he's a coach that should have stayed at the mid-major level in basketball, right? Oh, well like, said. Well because said. his, his best, his, when he, when he hits a home run, his, his movies are fantastic. The problem is, in my opinion, is his best movies are the ones that are the most grounded and the least budget, big blockbustery. Right. Mm, Like, and so it's, it's, it's almost like we gave him too much money and it became an issue, but I'm sitting here thinking like, if I could just have memento, the prestige and Dunkirk, I'd be happy. And, but those are his most like contained less than Christopher Nolan E movies. Mm. Right. Anyway, that's a completely different topic. Yeah. Um, Jake lasting legacy of the matrix thoughts. Um, I'm probably going to spend the whole night echoing Thomas, I think, because um, I also think I don't know that you can overstate the impact of this film on pop culture. Um, You know, aside from it changed. I mean, it changed just the mechanics of making an action film. Uh, It was was still so good to watch. Right. And that's just it. it, It looks so good. That's just it. And that's a lot of it is that it's it holds up in a lot of ways. A lot of elements of it remain timeless. One thing that I could not articulate when I first saw it as a teenager that I love about it is that that movie does not talk down to its audience. And it hits it threads that needle where people who don't want to think really hard about it, they just want to grab the surface level stuff okay computer simulation we're good can have a good time and we can all share in our love of it but people who want to dig deeper and want to look at well what's really going on with the allegory here and what are what are they trying to say and what philosophy did they draw on for this there's all of that there and it's all got this beautiful little bit of kung fu veneer across the top um it, it just it pops on so many levels it is a layered dare I say nuanced film when you dig a little deeper than just the explosions and uh, it's grounded with some great performances by some great character actors. Yeah. I was going to say, I think the performances may actually be more nuanced than the storytelling choices, but it it somehow works. Yes, absolutely. Um, Man, I'm trying to do a panicked IMDB search because I'm a dummy and didn't pull it up already, but the guy who played Cypher, um, Joe Penliano, I think. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. That guy who's in movies. Yes. Yes. Well, and that's just it. Speaking of Christopher Nolan. Also in Memento. Memento, Also in Memento. And Um, in uh, Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Yes. Yes. And he was in their first film, Bound. Yes. He's in a couple seasons of The Sopranos. Um, Mm -hmm. He's just this great character actor. Um, You know, you've got Lawrence Fishburne grounding the whole thing dare we even speak the name hugo weaving i mean Dude, that guy we're, we're gonna need to spend five minutes on that when we get there I, yeah yeah oh yeah gosh that That'll guy is just, it's one that, of those movies that guy that, is michael jordan and everyone else is just playing in the g league it's just <laughs> yeah. unreal it's yeah. one of those movies that so many elements pop at 100 percent that you can forgive it the handful of things that don't even all these mm-hmm. years later and, and to say cultural impact, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is what people older than us are talking about when they talk about the original Star Wars, just because, you know, movies were different after that. And it was and, a really cool idea that everyone in the small nucleus of making that movie was really, really excited about, but there was no possible way anybody could realistically have predicted what would have happened. 
right? Like, yeah. it's like, we, we're really excited about this movie. We can't believe we're actually going to get to make it. I hope a few people go to see it. And then all of a sudden, it not only changes the course of Hollywood and popular culture in America, it also alters the course of the careers of everybody that touches it. Like, can you even imagine? And I'm not saying that their careers would be over, but like, what what, do, what does Lawrence Fishburne, Hugo Weaving, and Keanu Reeves' careers, and the Wachowskis' careers, for that matter, look like if the Matrix doesn't hit? That's like the ultimate unanswerable question because it's like, I can't even, I can't even. I think Lawrence Fishburne would have worked really hard to get Pee Wee's Playhouse back on the air so that way he could revive Cowboy Curtis. I think that <laughs> at, the bare, at the bare minimum. That, that was that's a revelation. A that was one of those moments for me as a college oh, yeah. student where somebody showed me the picture. I'm like, oh crap, that was him. Oh crap. Yeah. Morpheus was in Pee-wee. Yeah. You want you want to was- talk about range? He's done Pee-wee, Morpheus, and then he did Othello with Kenneth Branagh. Like <laughs> yeah. Well, range and he, he, yeah, he had his and he had his little like because he's a lot of people don't realize it. He he he's written a few Broadway plays. He's yeah, he's got he's got and, theater in his blood and he's classically yeah. trained. But yeah, he's um in a couple of years before he made The Matrix, he made what uh, to me feels like the the role that got him Morpheus. He did the the role in Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where he just he comes in, he's just this no nonsense badass of a captain to this ship. Um and yeah, I was watching that movie earlier this week and i went oh yeah i would have given him morpheus off of this movie Straight up. and and i think one thing that i really appreciated about the matrix watching it this time through is um i don't think this movie is too self-serious but it still has a lot to say and that feels like an easy statement to capture but then when i think about like how many movies can really pull that off and you think that's that's kind of hard to do like I don't never once did I think this movie was pretentious and never once did I feel like this was, you know, like a prestige level treatise on anything like that. Um, but at the same time, it was very aware of the Kung Fu and slightly melodramatic tones that need to be present to make this sort of an energy work. But that tone was consistent all the way throughout. And yet part of what makes the matrix so good is exactly what you highlighted, Jake, which is there's that surface level. And there's also that one level deep or two, if you really want to go there too. And so it's like, it, it checks all these boxes without ever going too far one way, but still never losing its credibility at the same same time. And it's a very interesting experience for something that is this uh, fantastically shot and this much of an adrenaline ride. And I don't know if that's the secret sauce into why this movie hit other than it's just sheer originality. And we were ready for just something brand new. I don't know, Thomas, what, what do you think is maybe part of the recipe for what made this movie hit so hard? Well, I think, I mean, Funnily enough, I think this movie had something that we've we've lost in what you're talking about, which is that that ability to have something serious, something as as dark as yeah, all humans are just we're all in a pot. We're literally going to show you a baby with a tube down its throat being put in liquid other human um, in this movie because we're going to quit other real, human There's we're going to really we're going to really make you understand how dire the situation is but we're also going to be we're also going to be self-aware enough to do 
the lady in the red dress and all these other little things and to have you know a sense of realism but also an awareness of the ridiculous yeah, it's heightened and it's heightened it's, or, or or elaborate yeah and not to i mean not to keep revisiting him but it's what i think separates a movie like this from something like inception from chris nolan or hereditary you know those are two movies that i i always say are try to be smarter than they are they actually are and are trying to say more than they they actually are saying partially because they're so refusing to embrace the ridiculousness of their concepts and just kind of embrace it and let it be a part of it Mm -hmm. that it it keeps itself kind of at a distance Um, Mm -hmm. whereas this never feels like it has that but i i think it's completely self-aware but doesn't lose its substance either you know it's it's a great example for not just film but especially film obviously on how you can take yourself seriously without taking yourself too seriously yeah and and i feel like that's a tough needle to thread but it's one of the great strengths of this thing is it doesn't, and, and I love I love the quippiness of the Marvel films. I know it's wearing thin for other people. I enjoy it still. Me but too. at the same time, it doesn't need to resort to that. There doesn't have to be yeah. a laugh a minute to make sure we're winking at the camera. And sure, the world might blow up, but we're all having fun with it. You know, and yeah. it doesn't feel the need to do that. But it never feels pretentious, like you guys are saying. I, I think you're nailing yeah. it with this discussion. I so I, I went to I went to film school. I got to do some like stage combat training, which was a lot of fun. So it it's changed how I watch action movies oh, totally. to a certain extent. Um, and there's it's funny watch going from watching like something like Drunken Master with Jackie Chan and seeing watching it and just thinking, yeah, I think everyone's really getting hit when they're when they're hitting each other. Or what you have these days with your, you know, your John Wicks, your Jason Bournes, those kinds of things, where it's all about this, like, fast fluidness. And then you get to this movie where it's, make a move. Take a moment. Make another move. Let's take a moment. And there's a very much like a each, like, move, pause, move, pause sort of feel to it. Yeah, it's biomechanics. Yeah. Which does have a certain level of appropriateness to the the world that we're living in but it definitely also feels like while i i hate to give white people credit for something um (laughs) it does feel like this did open a door to hey let's have you know kung fu and martial arts and that kind of stuff we can have it in american films we can have it be in American films that aren't comedies that aren't supposed to be foreign-esque films and so as a result we can move on to having Jason Bourne's John Wick's Atomic Blonde all of the all of this stuff that we have now this this treasure trove of hand-to-hand action that we get now in film Absolutely. That's, that's, that's so well put. And, and I mean, I'm a firm believer and there's nothing new under the sun. Like there's no such thing as an original idea, you know? So I, I, I see the brush you're painting with. And I think, I think, 
as three white guys can maybe say this, it feels like that the Wachowski sisters were able to do this as appropriately as they possibly could given the circumstances, right? Which is, can you be inspired and pay homage to something that came before you and reinvent it at the same time? It's something that Quentin Tarantino tries to do and fails at miserably all the time. And so it's, it's kind of refreshing to see that like, it's, it's not them trying to take ownership of something. It's them appreciating something that is a beautiful art form and saying, this can be, more accessible if you guys just give it a chance and um that's that's a very watered down edition of just trying to say like i think this champions it more right than it doesn't at least i hope that that would at least maybe explain some of the popularity behind the movie um so let's talk about what what we like about this movie let's let's each of us take at least like one big takeaway from this movie that is just still absolutely top drawer jake lead us off what is your biggest takeaway of just like damn that was good well okay since i'm going first i'm going to pluck some low-hanging fruit here but man the action right like (laughs) i and i I, it's low-hanging but it's like my god did everybody watch it right i mean because but here's the i'm gonna grab at two things though and say also and this comes into play more in the later movies which okay so here's the thing with the sequels they're not as good but they're also I not like as them. terrible as I thought they were when I was younger. Um, right. I dig them. I walked out of the sequels hating them. Over the last 15 years, I've slowly warmed to the point where I think it was two years ago, I may have texted you, Mitch, and said, oh, crap, do I like the Matrix sequels? Because I was talking with <laughs> someone about them and praising them and talking about the sci-fi elements. All this, I'm like, mid-conversation, I'm like, yeah. And I just, I think I like those movies. And so... Um, <laughs> Here's you don't thing. know it until you say the words out loud and you're like, well, that changes everything, doesn't it? We've, <laughs> so we've talked on here about how much I love good sci-fi, like hard sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And this, I love when somebody successfully brings this to the mainstream. And I loved that kid as I got older and I knew I understood more about what had gone on there, that that dude ran at the wall and screamed Matrix bitches was a really big deal. Because that is not a kid who was going to go see Star Trek First Contact. And, you know, it it created in in some ways. It was one of the things, by the way, (laughs) it helped make me more socially acceptable. Right. Because as we've talked about here, my gateway to social interaction with other humans was being the guy at the party who could explain the background of the Thor movie, you know, and all that stuff. And Someone so I might bring up Spider-Man, invite Jake to the kegger. Right. Exactly. And like, it was, you know, it was, it was people's, we have some mutual friends that their party trick was like, watch what this guy can do. Tell him why yep. transformers look different, you know? And so um, mm-hmm. I, and so I seriously being the guy who could at the lunch table be like, yeah, but I mean, you know, you know that the red pill represents, you know, and I'll, and just go into all that stuff that was cool for me. And to be able to talk about that element of it and talk about the sci-fi of it all was really cool. And it it allowed me to start deepening some friendships, you know, to go a little deeper with some people I probably would not have to be able to cross over these things and be like, Hey, it's awesome. The way that that guy dodged all those bullets. Also, have you considered that we may be living in an artificial reality and that doesn't have to involve computers and that everything around you is subjective? Huh? Have you thought about it? and so i are we just working ourselves to death and numbness yes oh my gosh so 
I love the Matrix. I've been so psyched for this episode for so long. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. <laughs> but it, as our friend Matt Mayer Lowry likes to call it, sad boy sci-fi, and that's yeah. that's where that's where we love to eat. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely get the parlor trick thing. My mine in college was there were these DVD games called Shout About Movies. Yes, yes. I I still own all four of those DVDs for Shout About Movies. And my, the parlor trick was I somebody would go, hey, let's put one of them in. And let's let that asshole be on his own team while the rest of us play against him <laughs> on a team. And you'd win anyway. He's, and they're like, he's still going to kick our ass. Watch. And sure enough. Yep. To see that we're, we, we all have these skeletons in our closet. This is why we've created our own club in the podcasting arena. This is what the <laughs> Internet is for. We have found each other. We are going to celebrate our, our awesomeness. Hashtag podcast comfort corner. That's right. Hashtag podcast comfort corner. We're gonna make t-shirts. Um, so Jake, I think I think that's it's on brand for you to say that, but it matters here, yeah. right? Like, um is it too hyperbolic to say that what Blade Runner did for the sci-fi cinematic element, the Matrix did for the next generation? Okay, say it again. Okay. The way we look at Blade Runner yes. in the terms of sci-fi influence in cinema. Did it do it for the next generation? Did the Matrix do that for the next generation? I think it may have done it more than Blade Runner did because I think Hold, Blade Runner. Whoa. Well, here's the thing. Here, Blade Runner took longer. Jake's to come ripping into that band-aid off right now. Here's the, but here's the thing. We always I have this issue with Blade Runner. Not that it's not good, but my issue with it is that dude, we wait, view it. Wait, wait. Are we are we really gonna do this? Are you really gonna crap all over Blade Runner? Right no, now? no, I'm not. What okay. I want to, we're just. I had to brace myself. No, 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 not you and I, but society. We are. We live in a society. Um, we are revision. <laughs> we're revisionist about Blade Runner and how it was received at the time, Fair. because mm-hmm. we live oh, yeah. with the final cut, which is the renowned, adored version of it. It's the it's we, the right one. Yeah, it is. But we forget that it had a long and rocky road to being as beloved as it is. And so I think that, yes, but. So I think, yes, it did that. That's a proper analogy. But I think that this thing blew the doors off, whereas Blade Runner was a slow burn. Mm. Okay, fair. I can meet you there. It when you when you prefaced your whole thing, it really sounded like you're about to say, you know, people like Blade Runner, but let me tell you. Let me tell you what's wrong with that class. No, Blade Runner is <laughs> a great movie. I enjoy Blade Runner. I, I happen to like the sequel better, but I um I like Blade Runner. Um I, I just the think sequel that, is the best Pinocchio story ever told. I just freaking love it. I, I just think we forget how like how it got from point a to b sometimes absolutely fair i I would i would even say another way to view it is blade runner was blade runner's impact was almost exclusively within the industry whereas the matrix was more public in in its impact yeah definitely controlled the zeitgeist a whole lot more I think I think both y'all are, are spot on there. That's fair, totally fair. Thomas, what what worked for you about this movie revisiting it? Uh, the thing, because the thing I gotta give massive credit for, because I kept thinking about this the whole time watching the movie, and I don't think this gets enough credit, is the fantab- the fantastic work that they did on 
the Nostromo. You've got this ship that seems legitimately lived in that you can tell that they're having to live in it, build it, maintain it on the fly and, you know, on a wing and a prayer, like everything look, you know, it's, it's sci-fi with a path. You mm. know, you can see in, you can see in a certain way how we get from point, like from where you're sitting in 1999 to that point of, you know, why they have things set up on the ship the way they do, why they, you know, why they would have everything be the way it is. You know, you can kind of gauge like, you know, like call me crazy, but I kind of feel like all of those pipes are probably like cooling and stuff like that. And then we throw Cypher into them. They bust and all the steam comes out and you go, do it. And the, but, it, but it feels lived in it feels you know it's yes it does yes. it's not just clean and pretty it feels like you know you can see scuff marks from when someone angrily kicked a wall or people were rushing around or mouse tried to do a flip like he saw somebody do while they were inside the matrix so you can see how lived in this world is i love the phrase lived in that's just such a key key thing and i think what separates so many great films from good films, one of those details is the production design, right? Production design is not just your window dressing. It can also be a storytelling convention. And if you do that, then it speaks to also something that Jake mentioned earlier, which is like it removes the spoon feeding capacity quite a bit too, right? Like if every aspect of the production design is put together in the way you're describing Thomas, and is that lived in and is that well put together, we get so much more um, story. We get so much more backstory. We get so much more symbolism. We get so much more every Everything with that and that gives everything so much more so much more of a three-dimensional element and you don't ever have to say any words about it and like that's that's the as we like to say on this podcast the show me don't tell me so you're you're speaking our language thomas i try my best (laughs) (laughs) it's fantastic Um, add to that that of all the ships of its type you know throughout sci-fi history the ones that feel lived in and maybe just a little bit claustrophobic um alien comes to mind uh this is the only one that for whatever reason was like i could live in that and i don't know why like normally kind of like a dorm room to be honest yeah and well maybe that was part of it yeah um and normally i'm more like no i think i'd want to live on the enterprise where i could just have a little apartment where nobody bothers me and but this was one that i was like i could live there you know i'm not saying i want to live in a dystopian ai future but i could if i had to it's it's confined and it's it's there's a claustrophobia to it like you said but it also feels like it's designed to be lived in yes. so yeah i, to, I totally get which because i mean the for as as much as i love the original alien that ship does not feel like it's meant to be lived in well and that <laughs> makes sense in that universe because yeah. it's a soulless corporation doesn't really care about anybody's living exactly these are people who have probably retrofitted the thing and done some work on it to make it more livable yeah and but another example that i probably could get into a huge argument or debate with with certain people about but another ship that i would say feels slightly claustrophobic that usually doesn't get put in the category is the millennium falcon Mm. To me, that is a claustrophobic ship. We're constantly ducking, bobbing, moving. Like we can't 
ever just kind of walk normally in that ship well that so. that that one's kind of like your your first car you got when you were 16 and you're still driving it at 28 because you're emotionally attached to it but because it's attached to the star wars lore we look at it like a, a sweet yep. cherry cadillac but when you watch the movies you're like they make jokes about how janky it is yeah how, how deep do you want me to go here mitch yeah well i mean yeah i just attempted to talk about star wars with you on the same podcast so oh, no I you nailed it up now i i just <laughs> didn't know if our listeners would care about it being a Corellian uh freight ship and that you know Jake, we I'll think of 30, it as i'll give you 30 seconds go we think of it as big and spacious because we primarily see the gathering space where you can play a game like dejaric against a wookie but as it turns out it is still a freight ship a smuggler ship it is not meant for large crews and the uh the entire crew that's on it in the films is probably more than it was intended to hold mm, there it is would say three tops <laughs> just never yeah. ceases to amaze me. pilot pilot <laughs> co-pilot person to either man the guns or hide the cargo there well, you go. chewy counts as three people because he's like 17 feet tall <laughs> right exactly but any, just never ceases to amaze me when when jake goes deep star wars it's just it's impressive i love it <laughs> <laughs> oh man so i've i've got to give a shout out to um as much as I, I i mentioned it before as much as i appreciate the wachowski influence here and that cannot be overstated and i really love the bulk of what they've produced throughout their careers including and especially cloud atlas i've said it um i, I i've can we can we take five minutes to talk about hugo weaving <laughs> it's just like you can take uh, as many minutes as yeah. you want to talk about hugo okay like I don't think there's a bad performance in this movie, which even more so, I think, is a testament to just like we're talking Hugo's bet. This is Barry Bonds the year he broke the home run record, what Hugo's doing in this movie. Right. Where it's like he's in a field of professionals and it's really hard to get there. But what he's doing is so far superior to everybody else. Like he's he enters the screen with this like slithery but subtle energy and yet every single thing he does from a head tick to a mouth movement to a body posture to a line delivery you want to talk about friggin' line delivery my god agent smith yeah. get me some but Damn. like everything is so stinking cerebral but it oozes through the intentionally clenched and precise physicality at the same time. The guy is operating like a neurosurgeon in this movie. And there is not a single breath wasted. There is not a single frame that feels phony. And every single thing he does carries a massive amount of messaging and meaning beyond the simple sentences he is speaking. And he does it without ever being showy. He's yep. not giving one of those Hollywood performances or everything like that. And yet you see him outside of Fishburne. He's carrying the movie on his shoulders. And you're like, how is, how is this wizard doing all of this wizardry? Okay. So I, I, I could just really go on. I, I, what I, the thesis is, this is our gateway to the Hugo weaving Renaissance. And what he has done here is, really an acting masterclass. And I don't want that to get lost in the sad boy sci-fi lore. I think it's an acting masterclass, just full stop. What do you guys think? Well, first, first I have to ask the question. Cause I got to know if, if anyone else was in this boat with my friends and I, when you guys watch this movie as a kid, 
how terrified were you after you had seen the movie a first time of oh crap he's gonna take his glasses off again and i'm gonna have to add his eyes burning into my soul into his line <laughs> delivery. like that legitimately my friends and i got bored and went and found other things to do while watching the exorcist around the same time <laughs> We all couldn't stop talking about how creeped out we were whenever he would take off his sunglasses in the Matrix. Straight up, straight um, up. That simple choice, and 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 it, and his ability to own energy and the small acting choices he's making into that. I mean, my God. I, can can I juxtapose that? You know, just to speak to his range, which you know, like water being wet, Hugo Weaving has range. Um, <laughs> Hugo, but, newsflash, Hugo Weaving's a good guy, he's right? good. But if I can juxtapose that against his run in The Lord of the Rings, where as Elrond, he brings so much comfort and, and regal, he is, he's so he's regal. regal when yeah. he's on screen, you feel safe for a rare so moment, true. yes, and a trilogy that is about running straight into hell you feel yep. safe when he is on screen he and those flips long that, flowing locks oh beautiful and he flips it on his head or on its head in the matrix and does the exact opposite and in a universe that is inherently dangerous when he is on screen you feel the least safe and the most at risk and he it, it's everything you guys are talking about which is the facial tics the choice of when to remove the glasses, how to remove the glasses, every bit of it communicates, I am the most dangerous thing that exists and you are not safe if I exist. And yeah. I, I love the way you've captured that. And I, I don't know, like I've got, I, I, I talk an awful lot about acting performances in, on, on this podcast, but I also that's like what my training is in, you know? And, mm-hmm. I, and, and when I think about that, I'm like, man, man, you're kind of beating a dead horse, but I'm like, but that's, that's what all my schooling's in. Right. And so <laughs> like, I, I, I look at him and the, the thing that I marvel at the most too, is he has, I, I, I promise this connection is going to make sense. He's Jimmy Stewart in this performance. And what by that is, is he has developed his own unique, speech pattern for 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 agent yep. smith the the speech pattern that he developed for this this doesn't exist in any other character performance in any other actor's lexicon he like he like crafted this unique um delivery of of dialogue and his capturing of syllables and the few moments where he's swapping the emphasis and the and the way he manipulates his mouth to deliver something in a specific tone like his unique speech pattern in this movie is some like next level shit and like that's that's what Jimmy Stewart built his career on was doing something not in that same timbre but basically saying I'm going to take a character and I'm going to give him way more life by just saying, I'm going to make something, I'm going to make a choice with the speech. And, and he did that here and, and it didn't feel campy at all. And that is y'all that is so hard to do. <laughs> like I can't even. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, want to take slight detour on the off ramp just to go back to just the glory of his Lord of the ring performance. Yes. Do it just in the fact of sitting there trying to put yourself into the shoes of, of Liv Tyler going, man, do as Hugo Weaving tells you, 
be with Vigo. <laughs> that is it should be an easy choice to Vigo, but Hugo makes it a little bit harder to pick. Um, She's caught no, to, in the middle. Yeah. But no, to get to get back to things, uh, I think it even in terms of the range, I think it even goes bigger than you had it. Cause you know, we always, you know, for anyone who wasn't alive or old enough at the time to know about it, we always hear about uh, people, you know, people going, I don't want Mr. Mom as my Batman when Michael Keaton was announced. That was totally um, a thing. People was, wigged out over Keaton being cast as Batman, which seems so weird now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we literally care more about him than the Flash in a Flash movie now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which, to be honest, I Good do. reason. <laughs> but, um, but even more so than that, literally we've got this guy playing one of the scariest villains in sci-fi history and at that time period it was man i want to see more stuff he's done what's something else he's done priscilla queen of the desert let's give it a try (laughs) yeah you need a musical in your life why are agent smith and zod doing this Oh, such a good I've never take. framed it that way. And that's, yes, yeah. that's excellent. It's the it's... only way to think about it now, really. Yeah. Oh, man. The, the Matrix is just, it's such a fascinating thing to, to break apart. And mm-hmm. obviously the fourth one is coming later this year. And so this is kind of a timely thing, but it, it's, it's, I was, I don't want to say I was surprised, but I was just maybe relieved and delighted to see how much of it still held up all this time because it's man does this movie have a reputation and it's it's hard to uphold that but it's done really well jake as as we kind of try to tie a bow on all of this stuff what is your lasting impression of the matrix i think that it transcends the normal uh the normal categories it transcends genre um it transcends its era um you it's it's a timeless film in that you can put it on immediately know when it was made within 10 minutes and also still enjoy it as much as if not more than you did back then. Oh yeah. Um, it, it, it's a transcendent film, I guess is what I would land on it. It perfectly blends multiple genres uh, through clever writing, um, beautiful choreography and just superbly nuanced performances and all of that is just my 35-year-old way of saying what that kid said in eighth grade. It's, it's Matrix, bitches. This movie is so good. We've come full circle. <laughs> but everything you said is spot on. Absolutely spot on, yeah. Jake, as usual. Thomas, take us home. Where are you, You're fond of this movie. Where does this movie sit on you in the pantheon of movies that you've lived with for this long that you have an affinity for? What is the legacy for it? Like how, how do you encounter this movie um, as, as you've lived with it for this long? I mean, this, I think for, for anyone who saw it, especially as a kid, this is a trend setting film for how we pursued film from this point on. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, you get like, I work with a bunch of 20 somethings who are like, oh, I never got into those movies. Of course you didn't. You, 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 you got into this world after all the parodies and, and ripoffs happened. So of course you've never been into this, but for, you know, they entered for, through Jupiter ascending. 
<laughs> that I said enough. Don't don't even have me start doing my Eddie Redmayne impression. That's, I have thoughts. I have thoughts all, on Eddie Redmayne. That's, that's all I will do for the rest of this, just as punishment <laughs> for bringing up that movie. But I mean, for for those of us that were you know kids watching this, beyond the fact that for for many this was their first adult R-rated movie, this you know this was a big it was action. It was you know guns. It was you know, there were consequences to everything that was happening in a oh, way yeah, that you yes. that you never saw in the, you know, your parents showed you Star Wars and it was so cool. And now you're watching this other sci-fi movie, but it's computers like what you're into, but your parents aren't. And there are consequences on a much bigger scale than what you're than in the Star Wars movies. So it's, you know, it's, yeah, it, I mean, it's funny to think of it in in terms of the impact it's had because now we look at the movie and it seems repetitious Mm -hmm. but when you remember seeing it when you were a kid it's just it's like watching something that's just it's that star destroyer making that slow crawl it's Mm -hmm. that part of the the road signs that you have for for film even if you're not somebody who's addicted to film movies like we are even if you're someone who just casually watches even if you're somebody who wouldn't watch movies unless you know you didn't have a streaming service on your smart tv that you could just hit play on even for those people it still lives right in there and i think that as much as what i was just doing was a bunch of rambling i think it's as simple as that yeah i think you're right on and and it's 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 seminal like it's just it's it's carved its way into the canon into the lexicon like it's just it's one of those movies that has done that and and the lasting legacy is kind of undisputed there you can't really can't really argue against that (laughs) that is it that is our thoughts on the matrix good news the movie happened and it's still around and we had thoughts there's your podcast but thank you so much listeners for jumping on board with this clearly the matrix still has legs we're stoked for the fourth one there's so much to talk about so we need to hear from you hit us up on twitter we are at watch comics pod that's comics with an x uh watch comics pod hit us up with your matrix takes we've got to hear them we want to engage with you that's what we're doing on the internet it's going to be a blast and massive huge Thank you so much, Thomas, from Movies at Work podcast for joining us. Thomas, you are the real deal. You are one of the good ones. You are a friend of the podcast from this day forward. Thank you. You want to go ahead and give a shout out to your stuff and tell everybody where they can find you? Uh, Yeah, again, guys, you can find uh, the show Movies After Work. You can find us on Twitter at Movies Work, uh, or you can find us for listening to the podcast. You can find us pretty much wherever you listen to these guys, uh, Google podcast, Apple, Spotify, the pod chaser, any of those things. Sweet. Thank you so much, Thomas. It's been, it's been fantastic. And of course, to all of you listeners, you're the best. Thank you so much. If you dug this episode, give us a rate and review. And if you dig this show, give us a rate and review. It's just a really nice thing to do. It helps other people find us along the way. It's a great way to pay it forward. And if you do so, we promise to give you a lifetime supply of free high fives. Who can say no to that deal? Shout out to the Geek Dad Podcast Network. It is a wonderful place to call home. We will be coming at you next week with some more awesome stuff. We'll talk to you then. Bye.